You know, we all form impressions of people when we meet them. We can't help it as sort of an instinct. But it's often the case that the impressions we formed at first are later shattered. This happened to me uh, when I moved uh, with my family to attend seminary. Uh, We got connected into a church and began worshiping there. And there was a middle-aged gentleman in that church named Harold. Now, you all have never met the Harold I met, but you have met a Harold. And you'll see what I mean. Harold is that gentleman across the room that you look at him and you think to yourself, this man must have been a Marine. (laughs) That he just looks like a Marine. That he was middle-aged, but he still had that look of discipline, that stern disposition about him. And then I got to know him. And I found out what he did for a living. He lived on a number of acres outside of town and that he tested weapons for the government that they were interested in purchasing. And this only intensified the impressions I have of Harold. But this is a man that by the very countenance on him, if he just walked up to you and said, drop and give me 20, you probably would have, (laughs) just because you did not want to find out what would happen if you didn't. (laughs) That Harold was this man it was easy to form first impressions about, and you have met people like him, I'm sure. But one day, my family was invited over to Harold's house for dinner. And he and his wife graciously hosted us. And after dinner, we were sitting in his living room. And and Harold said, now, Andy, I know that this is a stressful time of life. You're taking a full class load. You have kids and a family. You're interning at a church. He said, I just want you to know that I know it can be financially difficult. And so I want you to know that I am willing to make up for whatever is lacking in your family financially during this season of life. Well, obviously, I was a little excited about the offer uh, that evening, wondering perhaps he had put something in my beverage, and I was hearing things. (laughs) Uh, But I I went to the campus next day, and I knew there was just one other student who had ever met Harold before. And so I went up to him, and I said, Dennis. I said, Dennis, you're never going to guess what happened last night at dinner with Harold. I said, he offered to assist me financially during seminary. And Dennis said, oh, Andy, he's been doing that for me for the last three years. That here is this man who all my impressions were was a man who was little-hearted. That he was a man who was tight-fisted. But all my impressions were shattered as I began to discover that actually Harold had been and was a very big-hearted man. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, that many of us have these same impressions when it comes to God. That we think of God like I thought of Harold. That God is stern, God is severe, that he has weapons at his disposal that he can use. (laughs) And we think of God as being little-hearted. But this morning, the scripture reminds us, the good news of the Bible is that our God is a big-hearted God. That our God is ready, he is able, and he is willing to give graciously to his children when they ask of him. That he is more big-hearted than we could ever imagine. You know, you could also say that God is big-hearted by nature. It's just in part of who he is. He's a giver. He loves to give, the Bible says. But he's also big-hearted by experience. He has a track record to go with it. He gives us his son, who gives us his life, and promises to give us all things that our God is big-hearted by nature. He is big-hearted by experience. 
And what I want us to do this morning is to look at these three verses in Hebrews 4 and to think of the implications they have for us, especially as it pertains to prayer. If we take God at His word, if we believe what is said to us here, what would it change about the way we pray? Many of you know John Newton, the hymn writer who gave us Amazing Grace. He's written another hymn on prayer that I've appreciated many times. And the hymn title is, Come My Soul, Thy Suit Prepare. But in that hymn, there is this stanza that captures what Hebrews 4 talks about. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. None can ever ask too much. Do you believe that this morning? That God's grace, that God's power are such, that you, you can never ask too much. Well, we've got three verses this morning I want us to look at, but I, I have four points I want us to consider from these three verses. And, and that's simply this, to see who we approach, how we approach, when we approach, and what we should expect. But notice, it starts off with that first thing I want us to consider, and that is who we approach. And it comes right out of the gate in verse 14, where it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest. That the Bible says that when we pray to the Father in the name of the Son, that we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ. Notice that it tells us his title, great high priest. Then it goes on to tell us his location. He has passed through the heavens. And then it goes on to tell us his name, Jesus, Son of God. So who do we approach? We approach a great high priest. Now, those, that title, that image, great high priest, does not immediately resonate with us, but it would have with these first readers. Let's not forget, what are we studying here? But the book written to the Hebrews. It's written to a people of a Jewish background. And they would have certainly immediately connected what the writer was saying. Because they knew that the great high priest was that one person in the whole nation who could have access into God's presence in the Holy of Holies. That this great high priest had an exclusive access to the presence of God among all the peoples. And that's who the writer to the Hebrews says Jesus is. That Jesus is our great high priest. That he has an access, he has an office that none of us has as he stands and presents our requests and prayers to God. Now, did you notice also, though, there's a flip side when it talks about who we are approaching in prayer? Because right after it says Jesus is our great high priest, the scripture goes on to say, yet he is able to sympathize with us in our weakness because he has been tempted in every way that we are. Do you notice that flip side there of who Jesus is? He is both set apart from us, distinct from us, has an exclusive office or title that none of us can or will ever have, and yet, he's just like us. (laughs) He's been through life just like us. It says there that he's been tempted like we are. Think about that. That this person who goes to God on our behalf knows what it's like to know what God wants you to do, 
and to be tempted to do the very opposite. That Jesus knows what it's like to be tired and want to be left alone. Jesus knows what it's like to live in complicated relationships. His family did not understand him. And his friends fled him and betrayed him in his time of weakness and need. Jesus knows what it's like to cry at the funeral of a friend and of family members. Jesus can sympathize with all of our experience because he has been tempted and tried in every way that we are yet without sin. By the way, isn't that what we want in a perfect pastor? Right? We want a perfect pastor who is very, very holy and likes to go fishing with us. <laughs> we want a pastor who, who, who is constantly praying but loves to go play golf with us. We want somebody who's utterly distinct and yet we share things in common with them. That's what we want. There's, there's been a description of the perfect pastor that floats around the internet. And it talks about, you know, the perfect pastor is, is, makes $40 a week and gives $30 away to the church. He, you know, he's always out visiting the senior citizens, but he's always in his office. He's 29 years old with 40 years experience. <laughs> that we all want this person. We all want that person who is utterly distinct, set apart from us, but yet can identify with us in the more mundane aspects of life. And the Bible says... Jesus is the pastor you've been looking for. (laughs) Jesus is the perfect pastor. That Jesus is able to sympathize with everything you're going through, and yet he is above all and over all, that he is distinct and set apart like no other, because he is the great high priest. He is like us, he's beset with weakness, it says, and yet he is unlike us, because as he says there, he, he is the son of God. He is the great high priest. Now notice, what does this mean when it comes to prayer? What does this verse, verse 14, mean when it comes to prayer? Well, just think about it like this. The scripture says here that our source of confidence when we pray is those first words of verse 14, since we have a great high priest. Since we have a great high priest. Now just think about what the Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say, since you have prayed so fervently this week and read your Bible so faithfully, therefore come with boldness to the throne of grace. It doesn't say, because you have obeyed God so well this week and been obedient to His commands, therefore come with boldness into His presence. But what does it say? It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, that there is nothing about me that can ever or will ever give me standing and confidence in the presence of God outside of the person and work and intercession of Jesus Christ. That on my best days, the only thing I have to say in the presence of God is therefore since I have a great high priest. And on my worst days, the only thing I have to say in the presence of God is therefore since I have a great high priest that it is only and always about Jesus that the Father hears me and accepts me. There's a Puritan who once wrote, quote, Though God will not give a man a drop or a crumb for his own sake, yet for Jesus' sake he will give the best, 
the choicest and the greatest blessings that heaven affords, end quote. That who we approach makes all the difference in prayer. That we need to be reminded that it is since we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us in all of our weakness. But that brings us to the second thing, not only who we approach when we pray, but how we approach. Notice what it says in verse 16. Therefore, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. With confidence. What should be our disposition when we go to God in prayer? The Bible says it should be a disposition of confidence, and even some translations say boldness. Let us go to the throne of grace with confidence. Now, by the way, remember once again, he's writing to the Hebrews, and they, they remember the story of Mount Sinai well, when God's presence came down on the mountain, and he made it a, a temporary throne, And there was the cloud and thunder. And what did he tell the people? But don't come near. Stay away. But now, on account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our approach to God, our disposition is much different. It is now, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. It is come. And we can approach God with confidence. We can approach Him with boldness because of... It says there, he sits on a throne of, not law, he sits on a throne of grace. It is a throne where he has told us that when you come to me, I will always and forever deal with you in the terms of grace on account of my son. Because you have Christ as your great high priest, the scripture says, God has obligated himself to deal graciously with us. If you haven't already, you will someday be able to sign a contract on a house uh, or a car or whatever it may be. And when you do that, if there's a mortgage involved, you're not the only one signing. There's also a lender who has to sign. And in the mortgage contract, the lender has to explicitly state what the terms of the loan are. They have to say, I'm going to give you this much money for this many years at this rate. And if they do otherwise, they would be violating the terms of the contract because they have, by way of contract, obligated themselves to deal with you on particular terms. And that's the imagery the book of Hebrews gives about our relationship with God, that God deals with us by way of contract or, to use the biblical language, by way of covenant, that He has said at the cross through His Son's blood, This is how I have promised to deal with you. I will forever and always deal with you on the terms of grace. I will forever and always, I obligate myself to forever and always be gracious to you on account of what my son has done for you. You know, what keeps us from drawing near with this sort of boldness is that we are fearful of how God is going to deal with us. But the scripture reminds us that the cross, the cross of Jesus, is a constant reminder that God has promised to deal with us on the terms of grace. In fact, isn't that what Paul says in Romans 8? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The Bible says when you have doubts, 
when you feel timid rather than bold, when you feel fearful rather than confident, look to the cross where God says, I've given you my best. What makes you think I won't give you the rest? (laughs) I have already given you my choicest possession. I will give you all things. And it's because of what God has said and God has done that we can go to Him with that sort of confidence and draw near to Him. But then there's the third thing I want us to consider. And that is, when should we approach? When we approach in prayer. And that comes out in the last part of verse 16. It says that we go to God's grace with confidence where we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. When? In our time of need. In our time of need. When above all times should we be approaching God in prayer? When above all times should we be going to God in prayer with boldness? But in our time of need, when we don't have things, not when we do have things altogether. You know, we typically don't associate confidence, boldness, with weakness or neediness. You know, in our society, if you want to get into a particular college, what do you normally do but parade your strengths in your application for admission? What do you do if you want to get a particular job? In the interview, you kind of trot out your strengths and your achievements. What do you do if you want to win over a customer? You tell them all the good things about your company or your product. That we believe, because it's normal in our realm of things, that strength gives us inside track on things. That that parading our strengths, having achievements and accomplishments to boast of, will give us the inside track. But notice what does the scripture say when it comes to prayer in the presence of God. But actually, it's being in a time of need that gives us the inside track to God's gracious presence. That it's not going to God because you have everything together. It's going to God knowing that you don't have it together at all. That this is what this means. That when I need something, because that's when it says we should go, in our time of need, I go to God. And so if you don't have joy, if you don't have joy in your life, go to God. He wants you to come to Him. That if you feel like your life does not have hope, that you need hope at this point in your life, that you should go to God. If you don't feel like you have power to resist a particular temptation, in that moment in which you feel utterly powerless and utterly drawn to the temptation, go to God. Because He welcomes us in our time of need. That we go to Him with our weakness. As 2 Corinthians 12 reminds us, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. When do we approach? We approach God's throne in time of need. But then fourth, and maybe most importantly, what should we expect when we go to God in prayer? What should we expect? Well, once again, I point us back to verse 16. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Bible says 
that when we go to the Father in the name of His Son, that what we should expect is to walk away with mercy and grace. That we should go expecting that this is what God will give me when I go. He will give me mercy. He will give me grace. By the way, those aren't in the Bible just synonyms, mercy and grace. Mercy has to do with covering over the sins that we've committed. And grace has to do with strengthening us for the challenges of today. And God will give us both when we go to Him in prayer in our time of need. That He will forgive us for what we have done, and He will give us all the resources we need to face the challenges of today. That He will give mercy. We will find grace when we go to Him in time of need. You know, I, it's tempting to think of prayer like this. That we go to God, we pray to Him, and then He goes off into the warehouse. He goes, find some mercy. He goes and finds some grace, and then He brings it out and hands it to us. And we just repeat this little transaction over and over again in prayer. But notice, the Bible says quite the opposite. God doesn't have to do, go anywhere to find mercy and find grace to give us. He is merciful. He is gracious. That it is in His very nature to be merciful. It is in His very nature to be gracious to us. That He doesn't have to go and find it. He doesn't have to be cajoled and constrained to give it. But as 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, God is love. That He is abounding in steadfast love. He is slow to anger. He will show mercy to a thousand generations that God is merciful, God is gracious, and it is as natural for Him to give us mercy and to give us grace as it is natural for the sun to shine. It is part of the very nature of who He is. In fact, there was an old Christian mystic who, when speaking of prayer, said something along these lines, I never go from you without you. I never go from you O God, without you. And that's what Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 is trying to convince us of. If you go to God in the name of His Son with Christ as your high priest, on your behalf as your representative, you can be absolutely confident that you will go from God who is merciful and gracious with that mercy and with that grace. I imagine some of you this morning are keenly aware in some form or fashion of your need for grace and perhaps of your need for mercy. There there are times when we are very conscious of our sin. We know that we have done things that have violated God's commands. And these things replay in our minds of sins that we have done. And what does the Scripture say? Go to God in the name of His Son and be confident He will lavish you with mercy. He will give you all the mercy that you need. But then some of you maybe are here today and you're facing challenges. You're facing complications at work, complications in relationships or school, and you know that you're not equipped to face these challenges. You don't have what you need for these complicated relationships. And God says, come to me and I'll give you the grace. I'll give you the grace. Come to me every day and I'll give you enough grace for that day to face the challenges you need. 
I will give you grace. You know, if we ever doubt, once again, if we ever doubt that this is what we will receive when we go to God, we need only to look at the cross. We need only to look at the cross to be reminded of how God has dealt with us and promises to continue to deal with us in the terms of grace. You know, just a reminder for all of us here, Christians aren't the people who have gotten their act together, their life together, and thus have found a way to make themselves acceptable to God. But rather, Christians are those who, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, have come to keenly discover who they are not and who they never will be. But they have discovered the one who, by his perfect life, death, and resurrection, has made them acceptable unto God. That this is who we are. We're people who continue to have needs. We're people who continue to need mercy. We're people who continue to need grace. And thus we will forever and always be people who continue to need Christ. That we will forever and always need Him. That we have no source of confidence outside of ourselves save Christ. You know, it's always tempting in prayer, because prayer is very experiential and personal. It's always tempting in prayer to look inward for confidence. If I feel good about the way I have been living, if I feel good about the way I've been conducting my life, then I kind of feel good when I go into prayer. And if I feel bad about the way I've been living, if I feel bad about the way I've been conducting my life, then I feel bad when I go into prayer. But the Bible calls us to look outside of ourselves, that we have no reason for pride before God, and we have no reason to despair. But rather, what do we have? Hebrews 4.14, since we have a great high priest, let us go with boldness into God's presence. You know, if you ever need encouraging, um, one truth that, it continues to take me too long to discover and embrace (laughs) is the truth of the gospel that we can in Christ, we are fully known and yet fully loved. That typically in our relationships, we don't think that's possible. If people fully know me in all my weakness, they won't be able to love me or accept me. If they know everything that's going through my heart and mind, if I'm fully known... I can't be fully loved and fully accepted. And there is truth to that in our relationships because we experience that at times. But the good news of the gospel is that God fully knows us. But on account of Christ, He can and does fully accept us and fully love us for all of eternity. That The good news is that in God's presence, we can be fully known God, this is what I need, this is what I don't have, and I have nowhere to turn except you. And at the same time, know that what will be coming back our way is mercy and grace in time of need. Uh, Of encouragement to me through many years has been reading the sermons of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Some of you may not know who he is. He was a British pastor of the mid-20th century, now deceased. But Lloyd-Jones, in one of his sermons on prayer, uh, I have, I should put this... uh, Attach it before my eyes to uh, follow me around wherever I go. But listen to this encouragement when it comes to prayer. Lloyd-Jones says, quote, When you are on your knees and all these thoughts and doubts and uncertainties come crowding in upon you 
and your sins rise up against you, and you feel you have no right to pray at all, you have to say to yourself, although I am a sinner, and though I feel nothing, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that I can never fit myself to go into the presence of God, but I believe the record of the Scriptures. I therefore believe whatever I may feel or not feel, that Christ the Son of God has died for me and my sins, and that therefore I have as much right to go into His presence as the greatest of saints. End quote. Well, do you believe that this morning? Do you first of all believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has lived, bled, died, and been raised for you? And believing that, do you believe that you can go into the presence of God with the boldness and the same access as the greatest of saints? This morning, Hebrews 4 reminds us that that is the case, that the Savior we pray to in heaven is the same one who walked the earth. And when we look at the Gospels, the account of Christ's life, what do we find but Him welcoming and embracing needy, sinful people? And He continues to do so even as He has passed beyond the heavens and sits on the throne of grace. Pour out your confession. We fear that if we ever admit what we have done, what what makes us afraid when we go into the presence of God is that He is going to give us what we deserve. But this morning, the Scripture reminds us that on account of Christ, we can be assured that we will receive grace and mercy instead of what we deserve. Our only hope and our only confidence and all the encouragement we need in prayer is found in those simple words at the opening of verse 14, since we have a great high priest. Let us pray to Him now. Gracious Father, We thank you that it is you who sent Christ to come and to be our high priest. And Father, we come to you in his blessed name now. He is our only hope. He is our only confidence. Jesus, our great high priest. We come as people this morning who must repent. People who must repent of our unbelief, of treating you like I thought of Harold. That you are a little-hearted God. Forgive us, O God, for that blasphemous thought. And help us to have faith this day and this week to take you at your word. That when we go to you in Christ's name with our hope resting on him and not ourselves, that you will give us grace and mercy, especially in time of need. Father, would you make Rock Creek Fellowship a place that has this sort of boldness, who believes in Christ more, and thus praise to you more with greater expectancy of what you will give us. Father, we praise you, and we exalt the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our great High Priest, in whose name we ask all these things. Amen.